You know what that sound means? It's another episode of Game for a Movie where we ask, are you game for a movie? My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. I'm joined by no one. That's okay. I am kicking off this month. It is October, after all, and it is Horror Month. Yes, I'm going to try to do five, count them, five bad horror movies for this month. The first of which is going to kick off tonight. I'll tell you all about it, but first, we got to do the thing we normally do and talk about what we are drinking. So before we moved to Charlotte, one of the first places I went to on a trip before we moved here was to Birdsong Brewing. Birdsong Brewing is a female-owned brewery, just giving you that little heads up, in Charlotte. And they have a new IPA series. This one is called Cosmic Debris and is definitely one of my favorites of their IPAs. I've had it several times. I've tried all their IPAs, and this is the one I keep going back to. Unfortunately, it's only a limited time IPA, but Cosmic Debris is what it's called. Honestly, I could down so many of these in a row and probably not even care that I threw up. It also is funny because one of the things that's included in it is mango, and I'm not usually a big mango fan, but it does have passion fruit as well. Let me just read this description for you. Inspired by the Zappa Hops namesake, which is Frank Zappa, of course, Cosmic Debris takes you on a flavor journey as twisting as one of Frank's solos with distinct notes of passion fruit and mango. This experimental IPA will have you exclaiming, Great Googly Moogly. I don't know if I've ever said great googly moogly before, but it's not an unjust description of this beer. So if you're in the Charlotte area or you can find Birdsong somewhere near you, try the Cosmic Debris if you can. Uh, I highly recommend it. You might say great googly moogly yourself. All right, now that I've addressed the beers in the room and the animals in the room, let's talk about our bad movie. So what I've been on a mission lately is to find bad movies that star great actors. Because I always think it's better when we all sit there and go, wait, what the fuck? Why are they in this movie? So I found a movie that is a Netflix original called The Silence, which stars Kiernan Shipka, Miranda Otto, and Stanley Tucci. So obviously we all recognize that last name of Stanley Tucci. I absolutely love Stanley Tucci. That is that is not unironic love. That is that is true love for Stanley Tucci. He does everything thrown his way. He's done action, he's done comedy, he's done horror, and he has a show on CNN called Searching for Italy that's pretty damn great too. Stanley Tucci is a good good actor and a fun person, I think. He's definitely one of those people that if you ask me if you were to have dinner with any person, he's not number one on my list, but he's definitely somebody in my considerations where I go, yeah, he kind of seems like somebody I would love to get a drink or a meal with. So the other two names I mentioned were Kiernan Shipka and Miranda Otto. Uh, Kiernan Shipka is Sabrina in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and Miranda Otto plays her Aunt Zelda on that same series. So if you've seen that series, you kind of know who these two are. Kiernan Shipka is definitely one of those like up-and-coming actresses. And I say up-and-coming because she's done a lot as like a breakout star, as like a young kid. She's going to be doing a lot more. She also was a part of the FX anthology series called Feud. Uh, funny enough, that also had Stanley Tucci in it. 
it's it's really weird because all of them are kind of in something together but not really all together they they all know each other and they all were connected to netflix at some point as well so it just kind of felt like they were all connected to it miranda otto by the way was also eowyn in the lord of the rings series the two towers and the return of the king just in case you're wondering where that name sounds familiar this movie had some things going against it already right off the bat. First, I'll say that it's PG-13, and a movie like this probably shouldn't have been PG-13. But they were trying to get the biggest audience they could, as well as why they put it on Netflix in the first place. One of the things, though, that is funny about this is that Emily Blunt, of course, was the star of A Quiet Place, and she is the sister-in-law to Stanley Tucci. And we also have to address that The Silence was a book-first which was published in 2015, three years before A Quiet Place was even released. Now, this film was filmed in 2017, which was probably after A Quiet Place started filming, but it got released a year after A Quiet Place, which definitely does some damage to it. So plot details, let's go. So the movie starts with a mountain range that's being dug into. We learn that it's the Appalachian Trail, And there's a cave system that might be hidden from the world that these people are trying to find. So they're digging into it. And so this has already lost me in the fact that I just don't want to be in a cave at all. These people are celebrating because they found this secret entrance, it seems like. And they start hearing something. It's kind of like this chittering sound. They don't exactly know what it is. They have people talking to them in their helmets because they're like wearing... I guess spacesuits, but really it's just to like be able to breathe in the cave system if you go too far underground. So they're talking to the people in their helmets, and then the chittering gets closer, and they stop talking, and all of a sudden these things start flying out, and it's these like bird creatures. Um, we don't know exactly what they're called at this point, but they're like these bird creatures that can't see, but they obviously are attracted to sound because as soon as they start screaming, they start attacking the two people that opened the cave. That's it for the cave people. We assume they died, but we don't exactly know. Again, this is a PG-13 movie, so there's not a lot of deaths that have been confirmed because you just don't really see them. The opening credits start rolling, and this is over, like, swarms of animals as well as, like, technology building up and everything like that. It doesn't really make sense, but it's just kind of laying the groundwork for these random creatures that are a swarm. Then we end up at a high school, and Kiernan Shipka starts doing narration. She tells you the audience how she lost her hearing not that long ago. So she doesn't speak with a deaf voice, just in case that's what you're imagining. But she is deaf. However, she has like this special ability where she can sense when people are talking about her or when things are around her and that kind of thing. And this comes back later in the movie. But she can tell that these high school boys are making fun of her. Kieran Shipka's character's name is Allie. So I'm going to refer to her as Allie the rest of the way, but Kiernan Shipka is Allie. And then we've got Hugh. Hugh's her father. That's obviously played by Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci is a construction worker. He has a lot of jobs that he just can't lose anymore. And he also, you can tell, is very overprotective of Allie ever since she lost her hearing. 
There also is a little brother who they never really refer to by name, but his name is Jude. The first time we see him, he is playing uh, Wave Race, which is a N64 game that I had when I was a kid. And he's playing it without a controller. He's like using his hands to like move the jet ski and everything like that. And that's just a nerd thing I wanted to point out. The other characters we kind of meet at this point in time is Kelly, who is Miranda Otto. She is the mother. And then there's Lynn, who is the grandmother who lives with them. Kelly calls Hugh before he comes back from work and is just kind of saying how Allie got made fun of at school again and also that they need to get Lynn's meds. Hugh is trying not to make a big deal about Allie's situation, or at least that's what Kelly wants him to do because obviously he, as the overprotective father, he gets a little worked up about people making fun of his daughter. Meanwhile, Allie is walking home from school. She's walking home and this guy, Rob comes up and Rob's a high schooler as well. They obviously have a little something going on. Uh, Rob is talking to her with sign language and we learn later in the film that Rob has been learning sign language to get close to Allie and they definitely have like a little relationship going on, but they're just in the early parts of it. I'm going to try to skip the unimportant parts. Basically, there's a whole conversation with Hugh and Allie. That's fine. There's a whole conversation with Kelly and Lynn uh, talking about Lynn doesn't want the kids to see that she's taking meds. That's all you really need to know at this point. So that's like 15 minutes I saved you from already. We basically go to the next scene where Allie wakes up in the middle of the night, kind of sensing that something's wrong. She goes to the front room and the whole family is watching the news where they see these things have broken out of the ground. They're attacking people in cities. So Hugh is kind of, hey, we need to get everybody in the car. We're going to leave the city. I will say this movie does a lot wrong. Don't get me wrong. But the one thing I think they do right is the fact that they address that these things are attacking the cities first because... It makes sense. That's what the loud parts of the world are, are cities. So Hugh makes the decision that the whole family is going to get in the van. They're going to get Uncle Glenn, and they're going to drive off to the middle of nowhere. Uncle Glenn is also not a real uncle. He's just a friend that Hugh has had since high school that they all refer to as Uncle Glenn. Uncle Glenn basically just says, I need to get some supplies, and then we'll meet here, and then go from there. Uncle Glenn's supplies are like 40 guns, but you know, whatever, it's not that big a deal. So they head out, we see them leave, and then it flashes to another scene of people stuck on a subway car. Uh, the subway car, it's obvious they've been there for a while, and one of the people that's there is a mother with a baby. They've all been told not to make noise, and the baby starts crying. So one of the people grabs the baby and is about to throw them off the subway car when the mom's just like, no, no, stop it. I'll go with her. I'll go. It's fine. And walks out of the subway car, and basically the baby is quiet for a while. They walk for a little bit, and then the baby starts crying again. And you hear the things chittering. And she goes, no, no. And it flashes away because obviously it's a PG-13 movie. They can't show you that the mother and baby died. That's it from that scene, by the way. That never comes back into play again. 
that just wanted to show you that anything can happen. Babies are probably going to die because these creatures are attracted by sound. So we go back to the family as they're driving in two separate cars. Uncle Glenn and Jude are in one car, and the rest of the family are in a van that is heading down the road. Allie is sitting there with their dog, Otis. Otis is kind of a whiny boy and a barky boy, so I don't know why they bring him with because, let's just face it, he's going to bark. But at the same time, I'm also happy that they brought him with because I don't want to see any dogs die today. Allie is also texting on this big old iPad, so probably that the viewers can also see what she's saying. She's texting Rob and learning that Rob is going to stay put. He's going to stay with his family, and they're just going to stay in their house and not go anywhere. Because she was trying to convince him to come with because they're going to the middle of nowhere, and they, they lived in a big city. Not quite New York, but kind of there. Then after she's done texting, she kind of goes to the news, and this is a constant thing where she goes to the news. Um, She learns that these creatures, they've called them Vesps because they swarm, and Vesps is a play on. It's not quite the same word, but it's Spanish for wasp. That's kind of what we learned. So these things are called Vesps. Ignoring a couple scenes that are not important, um, there's a part where basically Jude just kind of decides that he wants to go back with the family. He just misses them and doesn't want this. He gets scared pretty much. He just doesn't want to die without being with his real family. He was all cool with like riding with uncle Glenn cause he thought he was cool and had all these guns and everything like that. But now he's just kind of like, I just want to be with family and everything like that. So he hops in the car. You can also kind of tell that uncle Glenn is a loose cannon. Like he's a little, He's going to rush into a fight or something like that. You know, you can kind of tell that at this point. They get stuck in traffic that's not moving. So Uncle Glenn decides that they're going to take a shortcut to the middle of nowhere and they're going to go off roading. His car is built for that. The van is not. So he's just kind of like, just follow me and I'll help you if you get stuck or anything like that. This is the point where I'm just like, he is a loose cannon. Something's going to happen. Like he's going to do something or something like that. There's going to be something crazy that happens along the road. And of course, as soon as I say that, these deer rush in front of Uncle Glenn's car and he tries to get out of the way and flips his car off the road. And not just flips once or twice or anything like that. He flips like nine or ten times. He is off the road and his car is smashed. Hugh stops the van, gets out, and is all ready to help Uncle Glenn. So he rushes down to the car where Uncle Glenn is, and basically Glenn's leg is pinned. He can't get him out. He tries and he tries. He grabs a tire iron, can't pull the door open. He can't get him out. And Glenn asks him for his guns. Hey, can you get me my guns? Get me my guns. Get me my guns. And Hugh finally is just like, uh, okay, fine. Grabs the guns, gives it to him. And he's just like, what do you want those for? And Glenn goes, I'm going to shoot you if you don't take your family and go. Glenn knows that he's stuck. And so Hugh kind of like gives in and goes, okay, fine. I'm going to go get help and I'm coming back. That's what's happening. 
So Hugh gets back to the car. He starts it and is ready to go get help for Glenn. And he's talking with the family. And all of a sudden, Allie gets this strange, I won't say premonition, but she gets this strange feeling. And she knows, hey, stop the car. And so Hugh stops it, just automatically off the bat stops it. And Otis starts barking at something. We don't know what exactly, but he just starts barking. Then the first Vesp crashes into the car. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. They're all swarming, and they all crash into the car. Otis can't stop barking. He's just barking, 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 barking. And so they all know they're in trouble because Otis is barking at them, and they hear it. Glenn starts hearing the animals, or he starts hearing Otis, and he starts hearing the Vespa go crazy. And so Glenn does the only thing he thinks he can do. Remember, he's in the ditch all alone. And so he starts firing his gun. Boom, 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 boom. And all the Vesps start going away because the guns are louder than Otis is barking. So the Vesps start attacking Glenn. And to save his family, Hugh rushes to the back of the van, grabs the dog, grabs his face, and stops him from barking, and then opens the back door and lets Otis run free. And we don't see Otis anymore. <sighs> I'm going to take a long sigh. Otis was the best character. Otis deserved better. Damn it. It's not his fault he's a dog and he just barks at whatever. They never show you his death, but you just assume that he's dead, and they are monsters. I hate this family. I don't care what happens to the rest of them. Otis deserved to live. And I guess Glenn. Glenn's fine, I guess. He deserved to live, too. So the Vests, after they kill Glenn, and most likely after they kill Otis, you monsters, are just hanging in that area because they just kind of assume there's more food in the area. So the family camps out overnight in the car. They're stuck. Now seems like a very good time to take a little break in between all the action. And the only reason I'm taking a break is to give a shout out to our friends that got the bad movie guest correct. And that is our friends at movies for real pod. That is movies for for the number real R E E L pod basically is the host of the movies for real podcast and a father who loves films. Uh, go follow him on X slash Twitter slash whatever the fuck we're calling it still uh, at movies for real pod. This is where he releases all of his thoughts on movies, TV shows, everything like that. Recently uh, I see some, I guess posts cause we don't call them tweets anymore about Gen V which is the boys spinoff show. Uh, one I'm definitely interested in watching that I haven't yet. So definitely go check them out. Movies for real pod at movies for real pod host of the movies for real podcast and a father who loves film. So there you go. Enjoy that. Thank you for playing along with our game. They play along every time. And I'm finally really glad to say that they won. They were the first ones to guess the silence. Correct. So there you go.
All right, we're back. Family stuck in car. Glenn and Otis dead. Vests are hanging out around there. So Hugh gets out of the car basically to find them a time where they can escape. What he comes up with the plan to do, he sneaks away slowly to light Glenn's car on fire. Basically, this makes a lot of noise. And hopefully, when it finally gets to the point, it's going to explode and kill some of them. And I say that because that's exactly what happens. He does light the car on fire. All the vests start going in that area. And the car finally explodes and takes out some of them. There's a whole situation where he kind of gets stuck in no man's land. Nothing really happens. It's not that creepy. It's not that scary. The only thing I'll say is that one of the vests you see close up and it's kind of it's bad CGI. Um, I can't say anything else about it because it's just it's just bad. Like you look at these and you're not scared of them. That's what it is. So he's able to get to the car and basically they come to the conclusion that they're not even going to be able to drive. They just need to walk because that's going to be quieter. After they start walking for a while, it becomes nightfall and they find this cabin in the middle of the woods. It has a fence around it, and more specifically, it has these, like, bells on it. So if you open the gate, it's going to ring these bells, and people are going to know that you're there, or the vests are going to come and attack you. And as soon as they try opening the door, the bell rings a little bit. They were probably, they were being quiet enough. Uh, this woman comes out and starts yelling at them. She is also holding a shotgun and basically just yells at them, get off my property, get the hell off my property, and fires the gun into the air. I know I said there was a fence around this thing, but there's not a fence in the air. Um, we all know these things attack sound. We all know they like silence. So why the fuck are you yelling Get the hell off my property and firing your gun in the air. The Vesps immediately swarm down. This is hysterical, by the way. The Vesps immediately swarm down and start attacking her. And she's like trying to back away as they're attacking her. And she falls into a well. I wish I was joking. But that's exactly what happens. So the old lady that lived in this cabin is now dead because she fell down a well. They're still behind the fence, so they decide that he was going to go through this pipe that can get into the area so he can like sneak in and kind of make sure that nobody else is there. As soon as he goes through the pipe, you see that a snake is in the pipe, but the snake doesn't attack at that point. He gets through, and he's just kind of, yes, we're good. Come on through. The whole family then decides to go through the pipe. The little kid Jude is leading the way. And he gets to the snake, and the snake is staring at him. And of course, it's a rattlesnake. So the rattlesnake starts rattling its tail. And he starts freaking out. Well, then the vesps come up one side of the pipe and start attacking the rattlesnake because it's making enough noise that they can attack it. And then the other vests are trying to come from the other side and they run into the mom and they start biting her leg. So the vests are on both sides of the pipes. The 
family is stuck in the pipe except for Hugh who comes up with the brilliant decision and this is a brilliant decision don't get me wrong this is a brilliant decision but for whatever reason in this movie it's unintentionally hilarious he turns on a wood chipper that happens to be in the yard and the wood chipper makes enough noises that the vests swing out of the pipes and start flying directly into the wood chipper. And I don't know why. It's just so fucking funny. And it's a smart decision because he was like making noise to get them away from his family. And I get it. It makes sense in the situation. But for whatever fucking reason, this is hysterical. Because all these vests just fly in. No thoughts. All this thrown to the wind flies straight into the wood chipper. <laughs> And all of them are gone pretty much that quickly. So the family's able to get through the pipe because the rattlesnake was killed by the Vesps. The other Vesps flew into the wood chipper. So the entire family is able to get into this cabin. And they learn that mom is in bad shape. They're going to watch overnight, but she has a really big, deep cut on her leg. She's not doing well. So all of them get their own rooms and everything like that, except for grandma's on the couch and Jude's on the couch. I They get two different couches, but for whatever reason, they give Allie her own room and then they gave grandma a couch. I don't know why, but that's just what happened, I guess. Who knows? When they get there, Allie opens up her iPad and is able to FaceTime Rob. Uh, when Glenn was pinned down, mom was trying to call for help and she wasn't able to get to anybody. Like literally the lines were down yet. Allie's able to call Rob on this, not only call him, but like voice call him, you know, seeing the video and everything like that. Rob is talking about the vests. He also learned about this place called the refuge. And they're talking about all of that because Rob's parents are dead. And Rob, basically, Allie goes, I can tell you where we're going. You can find us and everything like that. And he goes, no, I'm going to try to find this refuge. I've heard this is where people are safe. And then all of a sudden, the connection dies. And we don't know if, uh, basically, he's kind of like looking around like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. So we don't know if Rob lives or dies or whatever at this point. I think we can all guess what happens, but you know, this is at this moment. We don't know if he lived, died, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, right? Hamilton. So Rob is out of the picture for right now. Next morning, we learn that mom is in bad shape. So they need to get antibiotics, 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 antibiotics. My God, I wish I could speak. Sometimes I wish I could speak so I can be unstoppable. So we're going to get antibiotics. They decide that Hugh and Allie are going to go. And I think it's because they're just the biggest names in the movie. I also think it's because they need to drive this next part of the story. And another thing, because Allie can, is deaf. They all know sign language and speak in sign language. But unlike A Quiet Place where it's all quiet and you don't get any words or anything like that, there's sometimes where they're signing things, but they're also talking out loud. So they'll be like signing like, what the hell was that? But they'll also go, what the hell was that? And whisper talk it while they're signing everything. And it just drives me insane because I was fully prepared to watch a 
else. Okay, I'm going to talk in real voice now. I was fully prepared to watch a movie with subtitles. That's fine, especially because I knew what the story was about and everything like that. But now all of a sudden, I don't need to because they're signing, but they're also talking about what they are saying. So, long story short, Hugh and Allie get to this small town's grocery store or drugstore or whatever. They're in there, and they're able to find the antibiotic. Um, there's a part where the vests kind of run the way, but they, they don't really... It's not hard to deal with them. And truthfully, I wasn't fully paying attention because I was just kind of bored at this point with this. Um, but they do come across some vests, and they're able to get rid of them pretty handily. That's not the next important part of the story. Because as they're leaving the drugstore, they run into this person that's obviously like a cult leader. You look at him and you, you just know. And his character is called the Reverend. You know this dude is just like this absolute cult leader. So the Reverend, he doesn't talk. And we learn later that they all kind of broke their jaws so they can't talk. So they can get around the Vesps. Basically, we learn that he's like this religious kook that's trying to get him, uh, trying to get the family to join their cause, where basically they repent and these vests are going to go away. That's the idea. And so at this point, A, I'm thinking, okay, they're smart because they're trying to get away from him. B, I'm going, is this the second horror movie I've seen for this podcast where there's like this religious overtones? Because I also watched Tsunami for this podcast. And basically, the people that were getting attacked by the... It wasn't a tsunami. It was a wasp tornado. Uh, basically, the people that were getting attacked by this wasp tornado are people that didn't repent or believe in God or anything like that. So I was really worried that we were going down this rabbit hole of religious overtones and everything like that. Technically, I'm kind of right. But technically, I'm also kind of wrong when it comes down to that we're in the last quarter of the movie um the vests no longer really become a part of it anymore kind of so hugh and Allie get back to the cabin they have the antibiotics they're able to give it to the mom she is going to be better uh the grandma's also was a nurse in another life or something like that so that's how she knew how to take care of her and everything like that so the mom's better. Not exactly great, but better. As they get back and the mom's making a full recovery and everything like that, they look outside and they see that the religious leader is there. And he also has his cult, which is like five people. And all of them are creepy and all of them have bruised jaws. And this is when we learn that they broke their jaws and everything like that. And Hugh goes out there and is what the hell do you want pretty much the reverend writes down in his little notebook we want you to join us we believe that we can save the unrepentant hugh is immediately no we're not doing that and he writes down in the notebook so that the reverend understands please leave us alone leave us alone please and the reverend holds up like this crooked finger like one one second writes down something and he flips the notebook and it says the girl is fertile 
and Hugh goes back in the house. And I thought that was it. I thought he was just going back in the house. No, he grabs the shotgun. Smart boy. Because honestly, I would have done the same thing in that situation. You fucking talk about my daughter. I am going to end you. Obviously, he doesn't shoot it. The cult basically like smiles and walks away. Like they understand, okay, it's done. We've made our point. The girl is fertile. God damn. It was so that's like the creepiest part. And it's not it's not creepy in a like oh, I was scared thing. It's creepy in a like why did we go down this rabbit hole? <laughs> it goes to that night and everybody's asleep and all of a sudden they're woken up by this feeling essentially. Hugh starts looking out the windows and he starts waking up the family like I I know something's wrong. Something something's here, something's wrong. And they see this little girl on the porch. And they're kind of looking around like, oh, this little girl, where did she come from? Oh god, where is this little girl from? And the mother's just kind of we can't leave her out there, so they bring her in. They start examining her and they see that her jaw is broken and they just think, oh, okay, she, she escaped from the cult. And then it goes to Allie's room and Allie wakes up because she senses something as well. And she like opens the window and I'm expecting fully that she's going to see like the cult or whatever. No, she sees a cell phone and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. All, uh, all of it. The one cell phone on the window, the alarm starts going off and then the little girl has like five cell phones attached to a belt around her waist that also all start going off with alarms. And you just hear the vests go crazy. And they, they come in and they start attacking the house and they're breaking the windows and everything like that. And the mother, like in one fell swoop, removes the belt off the little girl and throws it in some water and just starts drowning the phones to make the alarm start going uh, stop going. I call this the noise bomb sequence because I think that's what is the best description of it. Hugh is fighting off the vests that get in the house or trying to block off the windows and everything like that. Jude's helping him, and he basically sends Allie, the mom, the grandma, all to the basement to hide so they can block everything off and everything like that. As soon as they get to the basement, there's two cult members waiting for them. They attack the mom and kick her in her leg wound. And I don't think they knew it was there. They just got lucky pretty much. And then the grandma was no threat. And they were able to grab Allie and take her outside the basement. So the two are carrying Allie outside the door. And the grandma starts chasing after them. And basically, she just throws herself at the two kidnappers and grabs them both by the legs and takes them out. Allie gets tossed a little bit further away and the grandma looks at Allie and starts going and screaming bloody murder, just everything she can scream. And the vests start going after them. Basically grandma and the two cultists are getting all the vests and grandma's just sacrificing herself so that Allie can get away. Now, the rest of the cults finds Allie and grabs her, but this gave just enough time that the rest of the family can grab these silent weapons. Hugh has a tire iron. Uh, Jude has a spear. The mom gets, 
I can't remember what she had exactly because she kind of like got knocked out and then grabbed the spear and was able to save the day. But it just starts the slow motion fight that's all of like 20 seconds where they each take out a cultist member. Even though he takes out the reverend, he was stabbed, but he's still okay. And then, of course, this is in a rainstorm, so every stab, every scream isn't heard over the thunder. Even though Grandma was just screaming and she got all of the vests. And they each take out the cultist members. So now Jude, the mom, Hugh, and Allie are all still alive. And they just realize they need to get out of there because this cult, they don't know if there's more members or anything like that. And Allie remembers that she learned about the refuge. So the family takes off and they head towards the refuge. The refuge is basically in the mountains. And then the movie ends with Allie meeting up with Rob and giving some narration. Yes, Rob is still alive. He did make it to the refuge. Basically, the Vesps don't like cold, but will they evolve or will the humans evolve first? That's what we're left on this message of evolution and Vesps and all of that stuff. The end. So like I said, I'm going to compare this movie to A Quiet Place. And unfortunately, that double works against this movie because Overall, I don't think this movie would have done well anyway, and that we've seen the same movie and done better is what hurts it as well. What A Quiet Place does really well is that it was completely quiet. There's not a lot of talking. There's no real talking. It's a lot of sign language, and it's subtitles. This, what bothered the crap out of me is that as they're signing they're also saying what's happening and I get it you're trying to do it for the audience and everything like that but we've shown that we can do it in a quiet place that we don't need you to speak every line still we're okay with reading subtitles and that's that goes back to a lot of points where it's like There's all these great foreign movies, and if you're just willing to read subtitles, you can see all these great foreign movies. You don't need remakes of these foreign movies. You can just watch these great pieces of cinema if you just read the bottom line. And that's my main issue with this movie. Um, There's parts where it's just unintentionally hilarious. Like when, when the woman fell down the well... I was losing it and it was supposed to be, well, I don't even know if it was supposed to be, it might've been just actually funny. Somebody asked me if this was a parody because they heard me talking about that part and going, Oh, are we just making fun of a quiet place? No, this is, this is a legit movie. Like Stanley Tucci really tries in this movie. He really does. And I love the guy, and I think he does a good job that I'm okay to forgive his performance. And even Kieran and Shipka did really well, too. The rest of the family, meh, I'm not a big fan of. Kieran and Shipka, this is not her fault, but the way her character is written, there's a lot of unbelievability. Um, And it doesn't help that it's an ableist casting. Like, again, A Quiet Place had an actual deaf girl play in the film and learn sign language and taught the family sign language and everything like that. 
I don't know if the sign language is legit in this because obviously I don't know sign language, but I think for the most part it is. But because Kiernan Shipka, we have seen in other things and know that she's not deaf, it becomes a little tough. And again, this is not her fault. She was just cast in this film and she's a great actress for her age and everything like that. I'm excited to see her in more. However, this was not the film that she should have been in a starring role for. She should have said no somehow, some way. And because it's a Netflix originally, because the Chilling Adventures with Sabrina are in Netflix as well, she may have not had a choice on this. Who knows? But I would not, if I were her, go for this role. Um, that being said, she did very well. Stanley Tucci gave it his all. Not shocked by that. I don't know. It just had parts that were unintentionally hilarious, including like the fact that you knew Uncle Glenn was a loose cannon. So they just kind of tried to throw you and say, oh, he's a loose cannon. We know he's a loose cannon. Now we're just going to kill him suddenly. Um, The wood chipper scene was hysterical. And I, I actually really think that would have worked in real life. I think that was a great solution. But for whatever reason... That just made me laugh so freaking hard in this movie. <laughs> and truthfully, the Vesps were kind of just secondary characters. That was another hard part with this whole thing. The movie devolved into, look how evil humans are. Humans are the worst. And this happened within a matter of like three days. It's just kind of hard to believe that a cult would have developed this fast and especially one that's like cool we need to repopulate the earth let's find this little girl and just like start repopulating with her it, it was like three days it wasn't that long that we're doing this um pg-13 rating didn't help it it was definitely like low bloodshed there was no blood whatsoever and especially because this is a horror movie i'm okay with an r rating like especially it's a it's a Netflix one like we're not looking for I don't know what I think Netflix could do is you don't need to expand to the wider audience yeah you can try to don't get me wrong but you don't need to do that per se because you're not this budget isn't set on you need to get this many butts in theaters and so that's what's my hard part with this whole thing is I think it would have done better with a little bloodshed, with a little seeing this and everything like that. Maybe you would have actually felt something besides seeing her fall down a well and she starts getting attacked and you're just like, oh, there's no blood. I don't, I don't care. Even the mom's wound that you saw, it just it looked bad, don't get me wrong, but it's not like bleeding or anything like that. It was just a bad wound. So... I don't know. It, it probably would have helped if it was an R rating versus a PG-13 rating. There's certain things like showing the mother and the baby dying in the subway car and never coming back to it. I don't know who these people are. I don't care about these people. I get it. You're supposed to feel that a baby died. And I do. And especially because I'm the one who says that you killed Otis, you bastards. Like Otis the dog did not deserve to die you're at fault for bringing a barky dog with you. Just leave him at home. And he would have been fine inside the house. Probably if you would have closed the windows or something like that, you know, like he would have been fine. You didn't have to bring him with you. I don't know. Um, 
part of it is we've seen a better movie before that does the same exact thing. Part of it is that some of this stuff came across as unintentionally hilarious. And part of it is just it's a PG-13. So, rating. I'll give it a 0.5 out of 5. The Mitchell Zero uh, texts that go through when obviously there was no service anywhere. They couldn't get television, let alone a phone signal. And Allie was able to contact with Rob multiple times and learn about these things like the refuge and everything like that. It's just deus ex technology, pretty much. Um, So 0.5 out of 5. It's the first of five bad movies that I'm going to watch for the month of October that I'm going to review. I'm hoping to have some guests on the show for those other four. Um, Tell me if there's one you think I should do at Game for a Movie. Uh, Thank you to Movies for Real Pod at Movies for Real Pod for guessing it right. They get a special shout out on the show. Check them out on Twitter slash X slash whatever the fuck we're calling it. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in to Game for a Movie. I have Mike, your host. It is Game for a Movie where we ask, are you game for a movie? Shh. I'm going to sign my ending through sign language, but I'm also going to whisper it so that you can tell what I'm saying. But I'm also signing it just in case you need that as well.